You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, welcome as we continue the series, The God Call. Now, I love to have a dream that I feel like is from God. I really believe in the power of dreams, and I hope you have a God-given dream. But sometimes we need a little bit more than a dream. For some of us, a dream by itself is not quite enough. We need, people like me, we need an encounter with God. We need not just a sense that we have some hope or destiny that's out there, but we need an encounter with God in which we receive a definitive call from God. Because let me tell you, a dream can easily dissipate. A dream can easily fade. A dream can sometimes be set aside, especially when we go through a difficult time. It's easy for our hopes and dreams to be dashed. But when we have an encounter with God, when we have a call from God, when we hear his voice in a way that is indisputable and undeniable, then even though the forces of hell, even though the greatest powers on earth be arrayed against us, we can stick it out. A call will help us to move forward. We're looking tonight at Moses, and I'm not going to try to say that Moses' call is exactly the same process that all of us have to go through because the Bible is full of men and women who receive God's call, and God speaks to them differently. But there are some things about Moses' call that might very well apply to your life and to all of us, and so we want to consider Moses. Moses was a man who had a dream. Moses even had a dream that was definitely connected to his call. It was definitely tied to his destiny. But Moses got way ahead of God's call, way ahead of God's plan, and he ended up, in many respects, losing his dream. He gave up on it. Moses had an idea that God was going to use him to set the people of Israel free from their slavery in Egypt. And in Acts chapter 7, we have the words of Stephen. And it's a fantastic summary of Moses' life. And Stephen talks about how Moses was born into slavery at a time when Pharaoh had ordered that all the Hebrew baby boys be killed. But Moses was no ordinary child. His parents recognized something unique about his destiny. They saved him from that death. He was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter took him as her very own son. He was raised with an awareness that he was a Hebrew, but he was also raised in the wisdom of the Egyptians. And uh, even Stephen says about him that he was powerful in speech and action. I know a lot of times we like to say, oh, he stuttered and that sort of thing, because later on he said he was slow of speech. But as a young man, he was powerful in speech and and action. And at the age of 40, he decided to go visit the Hebrews as they were laboring in their slavery. And he saw an Egyptian foreman 
beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses steps in to defend his fellow Hebrew, kills the Egyptian, and then ends up getting in trouble and having to flee for his life. And that's why he ended up 40 years on the backside of the desert. In Acts 7, verse 25, Stephen says this, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. They did not recognize God's call. They did not recognize the authority of Moses, and Moses' hopes and dreams were dashed. He thought wrong. He thought they would recognize him, but he thought wrong. Killing the Egyptian did not work out too well for him, did it? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever killed an Egyptian? Now, you know I'm not talking about literally, but figuratively, have you ever gotten ahead of God, taken things into your own hands, followed through on your plan, yet maybe a dream from God, but done in such a way that it was all by your power and your plans and your timeline, you killed an Egyptian and it didn't work out too well for you. I've killed an Egyptian or two in my life. Not Again, not literally, but figuratively, like Moses in going ahead and doing something that really God had not called me to. Now, God has called me to be a witness. God has called me to be a mouthpiece for him. God has called me to be a leader. I, I know that about God's call in my life. But as a young believer in college, I had the opportunity to run for the presidency of my fraternity. And can I just tell you, looking back on it now, this many years later, I, I can tell you, God did not call me to that position. God did not call me, and I knew it. I, I didn't know it for sure that he had not called me, but I did not have a sense of God's calling for sure. And I even had a lot of questions, and I wondered. I had a very great dis-ease about accepting that position. But you know, even my mentor said, Ed, it'll be a great platform to be a witness on the college campus. And you know, that I am called to. And can I just say, I won the presidency and it was miserable. It, it did not enhance my witness at all. In fact, you know, I'm trying to lead a fraternity who had no interest in things about God in a different direction, and all it produced was frustration in me and frustration in my fraternity brothers when I would have been a lot better off just to be a fraternity brother and love them and be a witness as just an everyday student. I killed my Egyptian, and it didn't work out too well. That was my plan and not God's. So in Moses' case, what went wrong? How did he miss it so bad? I think he got ahead of God. By about 40 years, he got ahead of God. And I wonder, might there have been a little bit of ego in that? I mean, I have to admit that when it came to accepting the uh, presidency of my fraternity, there was a little bit of ego in that. I wanted to serve the Lord, for sure. I, I did believe it could be a, a platform for witness, but ego got in there a little bit and probably made it look a little bit more appealing than it really was. Moses probably had a little bit of ego at stake as well. 
See, Moses thought the people would recognize his leadership, that he was sent by God. He wasn't leaving God out of it, but he thought they would recognize that and follow him out of slavery. It's, it's almost as though Moses expected this dream of setting the people of Israel free to be fulfilled in a political maneuver. That is, kill an Egyptian, cause a slave rebellion, cause the Israelites to rise up against their slave masters and to go forth out of slavery. That's very political. It could have happened, but that wasn't God's plan. Did God have a plan to set the people of Israel free? Yes. But God had a whole lot more in mind than a political uprising, than a rebellion of slaves. God had something supernatural in mind. God had something in mind that would, would ultimately be so unmistakably God that only God could get the glory, and he's still getting the glory for it this many years later, far beyond what would have been the case if it had been a simple political action. Think about it. Ultimately, there would be a supernatural showdown with 10 plagues against Egypt, each plague representing a judgment of God against the false gods of Egypt. God has something more in mind. I mean, can you imagine the Ten Commandments movie if they didn't have all the supernatural elements? I mean, where would Charlton Heston be without the supernatural? See, God had something so much more in mind than Moses did. And can I just say that if you're trying to fulfill a dream in your strength and in your timing, I guarantee you God has something so much more in mind than you do. See, God's plan was bigger than Moses' big dream. And God's plans are bigger than your big dream. And that's why it's so important that we have a sense of God's call. That God's called us and that we do it in God's timing. So now we go back from Acts chapter 7 and Stephen's summary of Moses' life, and let's look at the account as it happened in Exodus chapter 3. Because we know that Moses had a shift from having this dream and having that dream dashed and having to flee for his life because he killed an Egyptian and spending 40 years in the desert as a shepherd for somebody else's sheep. But God intervened. You know, I can tell you ahead of time, that God intervenes through a supernatural event, the burning bush, a bush that was on fire but was not being consumed. And we're going to pick up that story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to break it down and walk through this passage. Verse 1 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, the backside of the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. What was the occasion for Moses' call? Not the dream now. The dream's been dashed, but now the call of God. The equation was that, the occasion was that Moses met the Lord on a mountaintop in the wilderness. That might suggest that sometimes we just need to get away to hear from God. And I love that. It's true. Sometimes we do. In fact, later on, Moses would come back to this same mountain and go spend 40 days in prayer and fasting to receive the law, the Ten Commandments. 
He would eventually have this set-aside time on the mountain. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening on this occasion in Exodus chapter 3 is that Moses is simply doing his job. He is just doing menial work as a shepherd. Not even his own sheep. My call was as I was just going on a routine walk from one side of the campus to the other when somebody prayed for me and I heard God's voice in that. A lot of times God just loves to meet people in the everydayness of their routine life. God just loves to do that. You see that with Jesus calling Peter and John, fishermen. Hey, come follow me. I'll make you a fisherman. You see that with God calling David from shepherding his father's flocks to becoming shepherd of Israel, a king of Israel. You see it in so many different ways. God seems to just love to grab people where they are in their everyday world. And I think part of that is, you know, God likes people who work. God likes to work through people who will work, who are not necessarily lazy. I don't see too many people who are lazy in some kind of secular world, but then they're on fire for the Lord. Usually, God takes somebody who is faithful, who's faithful with a little, and he can then give them more. Jesus talks about being faithful with earthly riches so that then we could be entrusted with spiritual riches. God's looking for people who are just faithful in their everyday world. You know, it's not an excuse to say, well, I've got big dreams, so I can't be faithful in my everyday job. No, we are better off and more likely to hear the call of God when we are faithful in our routine, everyday lives. Now, Moses was going about his routine, but he was interrupted. God does interrupt routines. He likes to find you in your routine, but then he likes to interrupt your routine. And here's the interruption. This is the burning bush, verse 2 of Exodus 3. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw, notice this, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Hmm. You know, in Moses' case, God's not being too subtle about the call, is he? No, he's appearing in a very supernatural way, the angel of the Lord. Many people believe the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ himself. The angel of the Lord appears, and there is a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And that's supernatural. And you say, well, if God would speak to me that way, if God would just show up in some spectacularly supernatural fashion, he could get my attention too. But the chances are he's not always going to show up that way, is he? We have to be interruptible. Moses had to be interruptible. Even though it was a spectacular sight, he had to stop. He had to divert himself from his routine of shepherding the sheep and go check out this strange thing that he saw. Sometimes God will speak to you 
or get your attention in a way that might seem a little bit strange. Right? He might use a strange person. He might use a strange circumstance. And it's very important that we stop and be interruptible. Are you interruptible? Are you doing your work that God has placed you in? Your everyday work, but in the midst of that everyday work, are you interruptible? Because, you know, a lot of times it's not when you go off to a prayer meeting that you hear from the Lord. It's while you're mowing the yard or taking care of the kids or doing something in your everyday work. And then, you know, you've got to continue with your work in order to get paid sometimes. I'm not saying that you should be neglectful of your work, but be interruptible. Be interruptible. The important thing is that God now encounters Moses in a way that He's never encountered Moses before. Moses has an encounter with God like he's never had before. Aware of God, thinking God had a call on his life, thinking you know the people of Israel would recognize that God was going to use him, but now he has an encounter with God. And here's something that I think is so important for those of us who are seeking the call of God on our lives, that we go from a general idea of a call, a vision, or dream, a hope that God will use us to this definitive encounter with God, that we know we have met with God. Even Jesus, knowing who he was, knowing that his father was not Joseph, the earthly father, but his heavenly father, even Jesus needed that encounter like he had at his baptism where God said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Only after that did Jesus begin his public ministry. Jesus himself needed that kind of encounter with his heavenly father, and we need an encounter with the heavenly father as well. I mean, the apostle Paul started with a major encounter with God. You're going to start with an encounter with God as well. It, that's, that's the way that we're saved in some respects, right? Isn't it true? It's with an encounter with God. I, I love John Wesley. He, he's my hero in the faith. I love the, the, the way that God worked through him and the supernatural. And, and Wesley revolutionized the world when he taught good Anglican church people that going to church regularly was not enough, that giving money to the church regularly was not enough that being baptized as a baby was not enough. And not even that being baptized as an adult was enough. What he said was that you must have an experience with God. That was revolutionary at the time. In fact, some historians of the church believe that John Wesley was the most influential figure in church history after the Apostle Paul. Some people see him as even more influential than Martin Luther. We can debate that. But Wesley taught that you must have an experience with God. And that message was not always well received. I mean, he walked into a bunch of comfortable church people and told them, you're not okay with God because you've not had a God encounter. And they ran him out, sometimes violently, but it changed the world. And I would say today, we still need an encounter with God. Even... Being a member of a great church like Victory Church is not enough. You need an encounter with God. And if you're watching this on some screen somewhere, you are invited into an encounter with God right where you are. 
We need that encounter. And let's remember this. We're not just going after a supernatural experience. We're going after God. Or probably better said, God's going after you. God's going after us. This is where we have to remember, like my wife taught last week, the most important element of the call is not the what or the when or the where, but the who. The who of the call. Exodus 3, verse 5, God begins to let Moses know who he's encountered. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I mean, this is the God of Moses' ancestors. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is the God who sees the misery of his people. He's the God who hears our cries and is concerned about the suffering of humanity. He's the God who rescues and saves. He's the God who prospers and takes us into that place of abundance. He's the God who does something about the terrible estate of the world, of his people. Mm. This is all about God, people. That's probably partly why Moses missed it earlier. There was probably just a little bit too much of Moses in his expectations that the people of Israel would recognize that he was the leader sent by God. He had not had an encounter with God like this. And our encounter is not going to be exactly the same. And it might not be spectacular in any way except for what happens within our hearts and our souls in a spectacular personal encounter with God. But it's all about God. It's all about God. God is calling you. God is calling you. God is calling you. It, this is a place to take off your shoes. You are on holy ground. You are in the presence of God. This is all about him. And then God says to Moses, okay, now I am sending you. Now I'm sending you. Moses is ready. And so Moses says, well, it's about time, God. I was ready 40 years ago. Is that the way Moses responds? No, Moses protests. In verse 11, it says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He has doubt. Who am I? Who am I? It's easy to play down that question, but can I just suggest it's a legitimate question. Who am I? Why? Because as great as Moses was, trained in the wisdom of the Egyptians, great in speech and in action, he was not qualified for this job. He was not qualified. God's 
qualifications are what qualifies Moses. And we need to know that. Who am I? Who am I? It's all right to have that doubt if that doubt leads you to the right solution, to the right answer. I'm not saying to be a people of doubt and to be lacking in faith. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's legitimate to say, who am I? David says, who is man that you're mindful of him? It's legitimate to say, who am I? Because God has an answer to that question, if we'll listen to it. And God's answer is, I'm with you. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who has sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship on this mountain. What does that say? It says the presence of God is what qualifies you. Man, you know, hopefully I preach decently enough and exegetically sound, and I do my research, and I do my studies. You know, I've got a doctorate in biblical preaching. I love to use those tools. Can I just tell you, those don't qualify me to preach? No. The only thing that could qualify me to preach, really, to do anything for the Lord that would remotely help and bless somebody else is the presence of God. It's the presence of God. God must be with you in your fulfillment of God's call on your life. You might say, who am I? But God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's my presence that makes a difference. In Acts chapter 4, you have the early disciples who are followers of Jesus, and they're chastised and told not to preach in Jesus' name, and they rise up and they preach anyway, and it says that the religious leaders took note that even though they were uneducated men, that they had been with Jesus. Acts 4.13. May people take note not of our individual qualifications, our pedigrees, our educational uh, attainments, or any of those things, but that we have been with God, that we've been with Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus that qualifies us. And what's the proof that God is with us? What's the proof that God was with Moses? What's the proof that God was behind the call on Moses' life? The last part of that verse that I just read, let's read it again, Exodus 3.12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign. You need a sign? You need a sign from God? This is the sign from God. Our gathering in this place, even our gathering electronically right now, our gathering digitally, this is a sign that we are worshipers of God. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you, I who have called you and sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Worship is the sign. Worship is a sign. Don't let the significance of that escape you. Because Moses is a man of signs and wonders. This is a sign. The burning bush is a sign that changed Moses' life. Moses, even in this same instance, throws his his staff down and it turns into a snake. Moses is going to see all kinds of signs after the burning bush. He's going to see water turn to blood. He's going to see darkness come over the land. He's going to see the death the selected death of the firstborn in Egypt. He's going to see the parting of the Red Sea. But the sign that God says is the sign that he sent by God is that you're going to come back to this mountain and you and your people will worship me. 
Worship is the sign. Worship is the sign. And, you know, that's another good reason to take off our shoes, to recognize we're on holy ground. We're in the presence of God and the proper response to this God who is such a great God, a loving God, a delivering God, a God who wants to bless and prosper you, a God who fulfills his promises to you and to your ancestors is to worship him. We worship you, God. We are a community of worshipers because we've been set free from slavery by this great God. His presence is with us. He's called us. He sent us. And we worship God out of that. Will you worship God? If you're called, if you're called, if you're called by God, you're called to be a worshiper. There is no way around that. I said that Moses' example is unique to Moses and we can gain some insights from certain principles. But let me tell you, this is an inescapable principle for all followers of Jesus. We are called to be worshipers. Our Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for true worshipers, and it is those who have received God's call on their lives, who know that we're not qualified, but God's presence qualifies us, who then are called to be worshipers. That's a primary calling upon each one of our lives. Will you worship? Will you worship? Will you bow down before him today? Will you bow your heart and life before him? Will you let him qualify you to fulfill his call in a way that goes far beyond your own hopes and dreams. Would you say yes to Jesus today? And this is true whether we are away from God or whether we have been following Jesus for a long time, but we might be like Moses after 40 years on the backside of the desert. We might have given up on our dreams, but God has called us to worship. He's called us to serve, and I believe God is going to be renewing some dreams in each one of your lives. But it starts with surrender to Jesus. It starts with surrender to Him. And I want to give you a chance to pray to receive Christ. And if you have received Christ at some previous point in your life, but you've wandered, you feel like God gave up on you, well, let me tell you, he never did. And he's waiting for you to come back right now. This is your burning bush moment. This is God's call on your life. This is when you go from being someone who's just, you know, leading a bunch of sheep that don't even belong to you to becoming the person God has really called you to be. Would you pray this prayer with me? Just, just pray this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I believe he died. He was raised from the dead. And he is Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Help me live for you. Help me to hear your call and do what you've called me to do. Be who you've called me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You received the God call. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. Stick with us. We're going to have a little bit more in the service, and someone's going to come and let you know some very important next steps. So thanks for being with us this week. We hope to see you again next week. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Victory Church Podcast. If this message inspired you, feel free to share it with your friends, family, and social media. And make sure to subscribe to hear future messages from Victory Church. If you'd like to support the mission of Victory, 
please visit getvictory.net slash give. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.